welcome to Pocket Change. Pocket Change is an offshoot of the Helios Consulting Podcast. During Pocket Change, we interview and discuss different issues and topics that surround change leadership and help sustain and support long-term anchored change. Welcome back to Pocket Change, folks. Uh, Very happy to have you along the journey with us. And I am very excited today to invite and share time with my managing partner and one of my dearest friends, my brother from another mother, Michael Donahue. Uh, Mike, welcome to Pocket Change. Hi, Kate. Thank you for letting me be part of Pocket Change. I love the name. It's a fantastic concept. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We... uh, we can thank Twyla Risby, one of our consultants up in the north, too, for, for helping us name it. It was one of the things we came up with in a brainstorming session when we first came up with the concept of pocket change, the quick-paced, um, reflective way to share change management information and change leadership with our listeners. So, thanks. Um, so today, Mike, you know, uh, we wanted to have a conversation about resiliency and some of the resiliency factors, of course, folks know that at Helios, change leadership is the core uh, of a lot of what we do. And within that, of course, we have our resiliency factors. And, you know, one of the things that I would love to talk with you about is self-confidence. Uh, self-confidence as a leader, as a professional, uh, self-confidence as someone on the come up, because you've really done the come up. And uh, so maybe you know, I, I know we had our initial Helios podcast and we kind of did a little bit of introduction, but I don't know that everybody knows who Mike Donahue is. And so maybe we could just start there with a little bit of storytelling about who you are, where you came from, and how you got to the position of being the managing partner here. Wow. So that 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 opens up a huge amount of uh, thoughts there, Kate. And I, I'll tell you this, I, I come from a, a background, and I'll share it with anybody who wants to listen. We weren't the wealthiest family. In fact, for much of my childhood, we, we were fairly poor. And so I started working. My very first job was in a fairground convincing people to spend money to throw ping pong balls into goldfish bowls. And so at the age of 11, 12 years old, I got a summer job at this fairground in the town that I grew up in. And in order to make any kind of pocket money, I would work there and I would stand there and, and call out into the crowds, three balls for 50p and, and these sort of things and try to get people to buy the this product. So in terms of self-confidence, it it was forced. It, it, it's not something that was inherent in me. Most of you who know, um, I'm actually a shy person and the self-confidence and the projection of who I am is actually a forced behavior I've had to develop. This forced behavior, when you start to display confidence that isn't grounded in empathy and humility, it comes across as arrogance. And for many years in my career, I've, I've pushed that self-confidence and where a strength is, it becomes a weakness. People yeah. didn't really want to talk to me because they, appear, they, they felt I was intimidating and too confident and these things. One of the biggest learnings that I've had is to temper that self-confidence with humility and empathy. And and that's something that has happened in the last five to six years, maybe a little bit earlier than that. For the majority, I know, you and I met each other 11 years ago, and um, it was kind of interesting. I met this huge energy source 
that walked in and exuded self-confidence, but did so in a way that had humility and empathy. Whereas, again, that was part of my learning. I exuded a level of self-confidence that people thought was arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was a real challenge for me to, to learn how to do it. Okay. Yeah. Well, and you and I, you and I had a lot of conversations about that because I was specifically asked to support you in helping you um, become the person that you wanted to be. And but it was at the behest of a, a vice president of your company. Um, and I, I remember that conversation. And it was, it was, you know, the VP said to me, "He's pissing people off. You need to get in there and give this guy a hand. He's a good guy. He's a hard worker." And you know, so I'm the one who he said, "Go and have the hard conversations with Donahue." Right? You never told me this. Yeah, lies, <laughs> lies. I have so. And and you know, I mean, how many times did we ha- sit down and have a conversation where I was telling you, "Hey, Mike, you know, that was a really great meeting and we had really great outcomes, but you know, you you offended people. I could see their body language changed when you would stand at the front of the room and facilitate these conversations." And and it wasn't intentional. It was that soft confidence that was coming through and your deep deep knowledge in your practice. Right. And and, you, and and the purpose that you were there on that project, I think, was also uh, a driving factor. You were kind of the eyes and the ears of the joint venture partner on that particular project. And so yeah. you were kind of seen to be a little bit of the government, right, in, in some cases. And I think that was also something that made people fearful in, in that case, right? Yeah. So when you think about your come up, you know, what were some of the most pivotal moments where you you had shortcomings or failures where, you know, based off of your self-confidence or the way that you approach something or the conversations that you had? Like, you have to have those pivotal or, you know, as, as some people would say, the TSN turning point of, of your career where you looked back and you went, oh, my gosh, like that was a really uncomfortable conversation or uh, I really upset that person. Or maybe the, the behavior that you exhibited while you felt you were doing something right actually took you in a direction that you didn't want to go. Um, that was counterintuitive to where you, you saw your career going. Yeah, I, I'd say it was it one crystal point in in time, um, maybe not, but but it was, um, it was a, a point in time, a, a period, from around about November of 2015, and then a growth period, for around about a year, after that, and what happened was, um, a career with a company that I wholeheartedly believed in and thought it was it was a great company to work for and through 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 various external factors and and internal factors and my career was brought short i i had a view of where i was going and and what that would look like and then i was told at the age of 48 and we don't have a job for you anymore here in that same period of time and the, the lady that brought me up, my auntie, and um, she died. So I went through quite a few, um, you know, selling a house, death of a loved one, losing your job. I got two out of the three in one year, and it was pretty tough. Mm-hmm. And that brought me up short. And it, it did actually, um, it, it made me think about what, who I was and what was important in life. And then I realized connection with people was the most important thing. Purpose, knowing what you need to do to make your life better, is what I actually um, developed. And I went on a journey. 
Um, even you and I, Kit, we'd had a little bit of a disagreement prior to that. And it was around about mid-2016 that I reached out to you and we redeveloped the relationship that we have, which I consider to be as close as family now. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And well, and we look back and it, I always tell clients, you know, when we look back in the rearview mirror, the things that we should be doing is pulling those lessons out, right? We should never look in the rearview mirror for any length of time because we're not going that direction. If you truly want to progress and move in your life, you have to be willing to just drive forward, but look back and say, okay, well, what were the lessons? And so when you think about, you know, even just between 2016, 2017, the startup of Helios, I mean, we've not been like we're we're coming into our fifth year coming up pretty quick here, yeah. which is exciting, especially knowing what we've been going through in in the economy and the world. But when you think about that, what are some of the the relationships that have helped drive and develop your self-confidence, the the things that have helped bolster you and grow you as a leader that influence you in the way that you think, behave, and, you know, the actions that you exude? Because, I mean, we're not born leaders. We're raised. We're raised into behaviors. We're raised into value systems. And so that a lot of time is based off of those who influence us or, or or materials that we read or things that come across our desk. What what are some of those things? Like when you think of maybe a young operational or a maintenance leader or somebody who's on the come up even in consulting, where would you point them to think about? Um, that's a, it's, it's a lot of questions to, to think about or a lot of thoughts there. Um, if, if I could just come back to one thing, um, that journey that I went on, um, I found a book at that period of time, and, and it was kind of a book that isn't on, that I know about on any international bestseller list, but quite honestly, it became a really good roadmap and offered me the, the, the signposts on what I had to do to be better as a leader, as a person. Let, let's forget leadership for a second. Let's just talk about how to be a nicer person. Um, they, they came up with... Um, around about five things that irrespective again if you're a leader or not five things that if you could really focus on and get into your very being then I think you 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 come out as a better person one that people want to talk to that want to listen to and and I'll just I'm not going to go deep in these I'm just going to say you have to have humility you have to know where you're coming from and know that you're not the greatest thing Okay, that if you can get that one, recognize that you're respected for your knowledge and what you can give to people. But leadership isn't about being out in the front. It's about being in the team and helping that team through. Okay, and you can't do that by going, I always have the answer. You have to follow me because I'm in charge. You have to have humility and you have to be collaborative in how you do these things. You have to have compassion. You've got to recognize the baggage that everybody brings to work every single day that they bring to your teams, to your organizations, to, to the, your general life. Even that guy in the car next to you who's a complete ass, he's carrying some baggage there that day and you've got to remember that. And my wife tells me about this all the time. Um, you, you don't know what their problems are. Give them a break. Um, transparency. If you aren't clear and open about what you're trying to achieve and what you want to do, then people will always suspect the, the agenda 
that you 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 have a motive and it's not aligned with them. So being transparent is critical to this. And I, I think the last two things, and I've mentioned it already, collaboration, being inclusive, collaborating with people and wanting to do that. And our team in Helios are very much about inclusiveness and collaboration. I didn't start the company and say, I'm in charge. I created the company specifically where I went and looked out three people who I knew were good at what they did, had the right behaviors, and could help me grow a company that had purpose about it. And so there were three partners, and myself, you, Mike, and Tienis. We have a strong partnership with strong community, and we, we never avoid having the confrontations, the walk to the role when it needs to happen. But we, are hum we have humility, we're humble with each other, and we work together and collaborate to make what we think the world a better place. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is, I think. And that you have a you have a saying that you toss out during some of our training that I really like. And it's um, along the lines of acting as a volunteer, being in service, right? So would you be willing to maybe just share a little bit about that, what that means? Yeah, um, so, and, and this is something that kind of just gelled in my head, you know, treat everybody that comes to work with you, and I, notice I don't say for you, treat everybody that comes to work with you as a volunteer. In this day and age, especially with um, the mindset of the, the general society in general, what you find is people don't have to be in that particular job, and COVID has shown this. You look at the companies where they were paying minimum wage and everything else. People took this time to go off and explore and discover themselves and they've started to do something different. So where you've treated people with the mindset of you come to work for me because you've got nothing better to do and you have to come and work here, that's not the case anymore. And so you have to recognize that if you could treat people with the sense that they've turned up because they like to be in your company, and I don't mean business I mean your personality and you make it a fun and it doesn't have to be jokes and laughs and everything but it has to be enjoyable and there has to be a sense of contentment and a sense of purpose that comes from that volunteers don't show up for money they show up for purpose one of the things in our company that we always always strive and from the very first day that we decided to build a company together Kate we said we will always put purpose before profit always and, and so that's the thing. And I, I played team games. I played games like I played a rugby in, back in my youth and early 20s. And I didn't turn up to train on a, on a Tuesday and a Thursday because I got paid for anything. I turned up because there was a sense of team. We all volunteered to go get our noses busted and our heads cracked. And we did it because we enjoyed each other's company and we were about a purpose. We wanted to represent our town. So if you can get people to start feeling like volunteers mm -hmm. rather than wage slaves, I think you're in a better place as a company. I agree. And so I guess just to kind of round out the, the conversation, you know, because everything that we have and everything that we know comes from experiences and lessons that we've been afforded. And I say afforded, not given, because I think that when we make mistakes or when we have difficulties or setbacks or failures, whatever you want to call it, um, 
we take something away from that. You either see the silver lining or you don't, right? Which is another component of self-confidence, like my ability to see uh, a problem as a, a solution or find a solution to a problem comes out of how confident I am in myself or those around me. So thinking about that, when you think about your most valuable life lesson, what was that valuable life lesson that got you to this point to be the resilient leader that you are? And and when did it happen and who taught that to you or who who helped facilitate you through that, get you through that? So again, um, there are things in life that are so frightening that most of the things don't even carry the weight that you should put on them. And resilience is about that. It's about looking it straight in the face, looking at the problem and saying, how bad is this? Mm-hmm. The next thing that I would say is, can I do something about it right now? If I can't do it about it right now, why am I worrying about it? If I can do something, I better be doing something about it. So that was a life lesson that I, I, I took on because I used to fret at work when I when I very first leadership jobs. I used to worry, am I good enough? Am I Have I got the skills? And quite honestly, in your first leadership roles, nobody has the skills. No. <laughs> right? I, I would say I'm still learning them. But what I would say is, of all the things that could happen, the things that keep you awake at night, classic line from, from um, Baz Luhrmann's, everyone's free to wear sunscreen, right? The, the real problems in your life are liable to hit you on an idle Tuesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. You don't even see them coming. So fretting and worrying about things is not a mindset. And so that that forms the basis of my resilience. And again, I learned it at probably around about the age of 22, 23, when I first started to take on roles that had challenge and um, high expectations of what I had to do. Okay. But yeah, that, that's probably one of my resilience things. I'll also share with you is I think you, you in fact, I, it's not I think, I know. You and I were having a conversation and you said um, resilience. It's about looking at the scales and for every bad thing that's happening in your life, finding something positive to balance that out with. And as long as you can get more on the positive than on the bad side, you're going to be in a good place. Absolutely. And it comes back to gratitude, right? Like you can wake up and be having the worst start to your day. And, you know, we've all experienced trauma in our lives and no one's trauma is it's not a competition. Right. But how often do you wake up? And I, I think I said this in one of our earlier podcasts is how many times can you wake up and say, okay, well, I'm grateful for the fact that I'm alive. Uh, I can see what are the yep. things that are the very bare minimum? I might be having an absolutely terrible day, but gosh darn it, I've got 10 fingers and 10 toes. And that alone helps me be an above average individual in some cases, right? And it, that's exactly it. It's how do you find the silver lining to the grayest clouds on the darkest days? And that that is the foundation of, of building your resilience. Uh, and I'll also say this as well. It's okay to have bad days. Absolutely. It's okay to feel miserable on a day. You just got to, when it, when it goes into more than three or four hours and you've done nothing about it, then you really need to have that conversation with yourself. Go look in the mirror or if you can't find a mirror, go find somebody that you trust and share what you're going through and saying, how, how, what would you do? How can you, how can you help me? 
because I'm having a bit of a, a hard time getting through this one. Because in this day and age, the pace of life and everything else that goes with it, and I know this sounds trite, we need people that we can trust who will give us a balanced view because sometimes our balance is off. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think even more so when we start to think about mental health and the, 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 the erosion that we've seen systemically just as a result of being isolated and removed from families, friends, activities, the things that fill our souls, right? We've had to redefine what this means. And, and even more so, and, you know, we'll walk down this path in a later podcast, but around men's mental health. And I think, Mike, it's a really powerful conversation when other men hear men saying it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to reach out for help if you can't look at yourself in the mirror and find those silver linings because not everybody can and you know you've been given a really good foundation but if we think of the foundation of resiliency it's almost like um you have a, a concrete pad when you're born and every get everybody gets put on this little concrete pad and so when we're born we have this clear foundation and those little tiny fractures come from multiple hits of growing up and experiencing life and and they're normal but they're 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 normalized and corrected if and only if you have people surrounding you who are capable of being those masons to come and fix that concrete when those shatters happen. And you and I have very similar stories in yeah. how we were raised, and and it's it's interesting how how well aligned we actually are. We've got fractures that nobody was ever able or could repair for us, and we've learned through relationships and through problem solving and just through becoming resilient and you know taking the bull by the horns. And, you know, and through the gracing, you know, of, of anything good that we're both mentally well and we don't have mental illness that affects us, we've been able to work around them or work through them or move past those where there are a lot of people who are not in that position. And so you see grown people who behave in ways that almost feel unspeakable because of the fact that they've got this fractured foundation that's beneath them, right? It, uh... I think what you what you're saying there is it's so true. Uh, if I could share just a few thoughts on this, um, you you can't see what is really going on with people. Very rarely do do strong people who have fractures, who are struggling, do they ever show, because mm -hmm. that's a society that, especially, um, the 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 age group that I grew up in, showing weakness was never an allowable thing, and yet. I was fortunate um, to be at a, a retreat last week for business owners and entrepreneurs. There is a group of us and once a year we come together and we share our business plans, how we're going to do things and what issues and things are bothering us. And there was one gentleman there and he, he showed immense courage. He actually stood up and, and shared with the a group of around about 12, 13 people that he was struggling and that he had had he had had suicidal ideation thoughts and i won't go into any more details than that other than at the end of what he said and um, we were asked uh, any thoughts or questions and i just said one thought the amount of courage it took that person to stand in a room and share that was immense and it, it takes a lot of guts and courage to to be able to do that and to keep going on and looking for that i, I immediately reached out and offered an ear a, a coffee date, anything, just to help him if that was um, what he wanted. But you've got to be, you, you've got to look at that. And that's when that humility and empathy kicks in as a leader, as a person, 
that if you can actually see someone that needs help, take the time out because you'll never know if you need that help again from somewhere else. Think about it as paying it forward. Okay. Absolutely. So powerful. So powerful, Mike. You know, Mike, I want to thank you for taking the time to spend some time with us. And I really look forward to having you back on Pocket Change again and for you and I to collaborate on the overall Helios podcast on maybe some more of our technical stuff. But this has been a really meaningful conversation. And I just sincerely appreciate your openness and your willingness to share and be vulnerable with our Pocket Change listeners. Thank you, Kate. And and one of the things that we teach is you can't build trust in a team if you're not willing to be vulnerable yourself. Amen and that to that. Is, that is critical. Okay. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners. This has been another episode of Pocket Change. Please, if there is any content or anyone that you would like to see featured on here, please don't hesitate to let us know. Drop us a comment in the comment box below. 